Welcome everyone to episode 50 of the 25 Live. My name is Jim Bernica. My special guest this week is retired Chief Bobby Halton. Now Bobby's retired, but he's still working a bunch. He's an editor-in-chief for Fire Engineering. He's the educational director at the Fire Department Instructors Conference. You may have heard of that before, otherwise known as FDIC. But Bobby's a fire historian, and that's what I wanted to bring him on the show for, because I wanted to talk about how our health and wellness amongst firefighters has evolved, you know, over the years. So without further ado, let's get right to it. Chief Bobby Holden. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of the 25 Live. It's actually episode number 50, and I'm happy to be joined by Chief Bobby Holden. Bobby, how are you this morning? I'm great, Jim. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for uh, joining me on here. No, it's um, a pleasure. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for the cancer consultants and your hard work and congratulations on being in the wellness supplement in September, man. Oh, yes. Thank you. That, that, uh, it's been a long time coming and I'm happy to see that I'm actually going to be officially a published author. Yes. In print, not just on the internet, but in print. So that's, that's going to be pretty cool. You know, that's interesting. The younger writers want to be on the internet because the, the shareability, right? The fact that you can post it, share it, get instantaneous feedback. That's the, that's, they prefer it. So I've got a whole cadre of uh, guys and gals that write for us now that say, no, I prefer to be online. And I'm like, okay. I always pictured it as kind of a goal. I want to be in print. I want to be a speaker at FDIC. I mean, that's just, those are things that I can, that I can I try to get to. I can tell you with a certain, with a degree of certainty that you will do both. I'm I'm halfway there. <laughs> you you got to put in for 2021. I and will actually, send me a placeholder for 2020. Anybody who's out there, because if we get folks that can't make it, we'll have a certain amount of slots open. But you know what we did was we rolled 2019 into 2020, and so those folks have first shot. But if they can't make it, you know we're absolutely open to you know obviously someone with your credentials, you know uh, taking those open slots. Perfect. All right. Well, I'm going to get mine in before everybody else. I have that advantage. <laughs> and it's going to go out on your radio show. So you <laughs> I'm going to sit. edit. I'm going to edit that whole thing out. <laughs> you, can, you can sit. You can sit on it till you get yours in. Because <laughs> we are going to consider them in the order they come in. That's going to matter. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's kind of jump into it. You are kind of a historian, I'd say, of the fire service, a godfather, if you will. Before we go into like what's happening now, I think it makes sense to kind of go into your past, just briefly kind of talk about how you, how you got here in the first place. What, where'd you start at and yeah, where I grew, you worked? I grew up in a, I grew up in an uh, Irish Catholic uh, family, uh, some Spanish in us as well in, in uh, New York City. So they used to call it uh, Irish welfare, Spanish welfare. So when you were born, grandma would go down the line, it was cop, fireman, priest, cop, fireman, priest. And that's it, pretty much the truth. I mean, you know, uh, my whole family were public servants. They were cops, firemen, and priests. Um, my, my dad was kind of a black sheep. He was a public servant for a while. Then we don't know what happened. He uh, had a little drinking issue and he, uh, he lost his public service job and then got sober and became a lawyer. And I'm not sure what we were more embarrassed about, the fact that he quit drinking or the, became a lawyer. But I'm just kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> oh, my dad. But uh, so, yeah, all my uncles and, and uh, my dad worked with the, I was a volunteer firefighter. Um, so it was just in our family history, right? Um, got family who were with the New York City Fire Department from before it was the New York City Fire Department. Um, the joke that my grandma, now I tell, and my grandmother used to tell is that, uh, you know, our family came over, half our family came over on the boat, which is, she was a Plunkett, which is a big family in New York, one of the original families in New York. And the other half of our family tied it up. So it's a true story. When I did my ancestry DNA, I saw, you know, Irish, Spanish, some Native American, and then I saw some Asian. So I called my mom up and I said, gosh, mom, I knew about, you know, the other three, but what's with this Asian? And she was like 90 at the time. And she said, for the love of God, Bobby, we've been here since the 1700s. We slept with everybody. <laughs> when your mom tells you that, you know you're going to be. Oh, your mom has no filter. I love it. At 90. Yeah, right, right. So, but that was, the, that's the reality of life. You know, I mean, we, we create, we create things that some, in some ways did not exist in the past, or we ascribe things to things that didn't exist in the past. So it was just in our blood. Always wanted to be a firefighter. Um, sat for the test in New York. I got interrupted with some uh, government issues. And then, 
when those got cleared up, I was on a wait list. Didn't, didn't do as well as I wanted to on the test, but it, at that point in my life, I was young and very uh, reckless and, and lived a kind of um, body lifestyle. There's an actor, um, great guy, I don't know if I should say his name, but he played RoboCop. I hope I'm not giving him away. Um, Bobby Burke, anyway, okay. who, who grew up in my neighborhood. And uh, he always tells the story about he was going to get tuned up by this gang of thugs that were uh, getting ready to hurt him. And I came walking around the corner, you know, black leather jacket, you know, cigarette hanging out of my mouth, my usual hoodlum act. I said, what's going on? And they said, we're going to tune up this kid. And I said, nah, I, that, that, he, I like that kid. Let him, don't touch that kid. I didn't know him from Adam. Why am I picturing you as like the Fonz? Picture the Fonz with a really bad attitude. Yeah. <laughs> More like, a, yeah, 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 really. Yeah, the Fonz was kind of a, yeah, the Fonz, I wish I was Fonz-like. I was more like jackass than, than Fonz. I was, I'm not proud of my past. So, uh, so uh, I, was a, I was a ne'er-do-well. But then I got my, my head straight and uh, decided I want to be on the job. So I, at that time, O'Hagan said you had to have college. So I went to college and I couldn't afford New York schools. So I ended up in New Mexico and got through it and was waiting to get picked up. And, you know, I was married at the time and uh, the Albuquerque guys were hiring. Uh, I, I was working as a ranger, forest ranger. I picked up a, a gig with them to put food on the table while I was finishing school. And um, anyway, they picked me up and uh, that's where I stayed. I didn't I had a chance to go back to New York a few years later. Didn't my wife said, yeah, okay, enjoy yourself. Have a good time. Bye. Yeah. She was happy there. She didn't want to move. She was right. And Albuquerque turned out to be a wonderful opportunity for me. Um, great organization, wonderful people. Um, uh, some of the people who uh, influenced my life the most you know, Ted Nee, Ron Beckman, um, Gene McPeak, uh, Robbie Ortega, uh, Rick Romero, just guys who, you know, Paul L'Esperance, uh, Piggy, uh, Pablo Garcia, they, they were, you know, um, wrong way, you know, guys, Buddha, they were guys that, you know, taught me things that you couldn't, I wouldn't have learned anywhere else. And, and, uh, there was a character and a quality to those men and women, um, Joanna Sieben, and, and it, working with the major better man, uh, major better person. You, you couldn't help but uh, uh, learn from them. You couldn't help but admire them. It, it, one and all. I mean, uh, Robbie Sanchez. The list just goes on and on and on of, of folks who Lee House. I mean, I, I feel bad for the people I'm forgetting uh, to mention, and I'm not forgetting them, but I'm forgetting to mention them. But um, that organization, for some reason, was a magnet, like all fire departments. They're a magnet in the community for the men and women who really, just the most decent human beings on the face of the planet. And I know, I know people hear me say that, but I honestly believe it. I, I think it's a, I think it's an amazing. You know, I feel like, I feel like uh, uh, George Clooney and Oh Brother Where Art Thou. It's some kind of geographic anomaly that that these that the fire service just attracts these people of quality and character. And, you know, we, we used to call them moral truths. Back in the day, there were certain moral truths, right? And, and I still believe there are. And, and James Q. Wilson, who wrote, you know, is, is famous for the glass broken windows theory, people know him from, but he was a great American philosopher, spoke about moral truths. And there are some objective moral truths in the world. And, and those are getting thrown out with this whole new thing of subjectivism. There are some objective, actual, truth, right? Don't ever hurt anybody. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. You know, um, th those things are real. You know what I mean? Cause no harm. Never intentionally hurt anybody. You know, be kind. You know, th those are moral truths. And, and, and they, you know, the fire service is always, we don't have to tell people who, the people who join, with rare exceptions, we all have a crazy ants in the basement. Every now and then somebody slips under the radar and somehow ends up in our ranks and, you know, we have to, we have to get rid of them or they self-select and leave. But you know it too. I mean, I know the Dayton folks. I mean, what a collection of you right now you're working with, when you go to Dayton, Ohio, I don't care right now, go knock on the door, any firehouse in Dayton, 
anybody, I don't, I don't care who's ever listened to this, and say, hey, God, I'm exhausted, I'm driving, can I, can I get a cup of coffee from you guys? First thing you're gonna hear is, absolutely. Come on in. Cream or sugar, right? Come on in, you know, or black. And, 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 and you're gonna get some of the worst coffee you've ever had in your life, and before you know it, they're going to want to where you're from, what you're doing. Even if you're not a firefighter, if you're just listening to this out of curiosity about cancer and firefighters, good for you. That's the truth. That's the absolute truth. They might be a little leery at first, like, you know, but once they realize you're really just there for a cup of coffee and to talk to them, come on in. What the hell are you doing? You know what I mean? We're, 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 we're doing maintenance on the chainsaws or we're doing maintenance on the SCBAs right now, but come on and have a cup of coffee with us. Sure, pull up a pull up a bench, you know, pull up a, pull up a, a, a dolly, right? You know, you don't mind getting a little grease on you, sit down. Yep. And, and I, uh, so, so I was always, you know, I, and I, I believe that with all my heart, all my heart and soul. I, it's, it's, it's been the greatest blessing in, in my life to uh, have been a firefighter and an active firefighter. Now I'm a semi-active firefighter. Um, I'm old and I'm broken. And, and so my physical limitations I can still function in certain capacities on the fire ground, but I don't push it. And, and the limestone uh, volunteers out here let me hang out. I do command stuff. I do training stuff. The Owasso guys are good with me. The Tulsa guys are good with me, uh, the locals. And so they all let me play, but I'm very careful not to put anybody else at risk with my physical limitations. You know what I mean? I don't want anybody having to drag my sorry butt out of a burning building. You know what I mean? Right? Sure. Sure. So know your limitations, you know, and, and physically, you know, I'm still good cardio wise, but I have no, I have no um, dexterity anymore. I have no, I have no, um, like a cup of coffee is a challenge for me um, in the mornings. It takes, you know, by mid afternoon, I'm good with that stuff. But like, if you ask me to get a, you know, a, a thing of sugar off a shelf that's over my shoulder in the morning, ain't happening. And so, you you don't want that guy in a structure fire. So you don't mind, it's okay if he's in the buggy or hey, I'll make peanut butter and jelly all day long, you know, for, for the troops. I'll, you know, I'll I'll help repack hose, but I won't I won't put anybody else in jeopardy by putting myself inside a burning building. I definitely feel like it's a young person's job. Well, you know, a lot of guys my age are still fine with it, but I had a tough route. It was a, I had a tough paper route when I was a kid, and it, it kind of took its toll on me, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh, but like my buddy Bobby Morris, Bobby's uh, two years senior to me, and man, that guy's still the best fireman alive. I'll, I'll stack Bobby Morris up against any 35-year-old young gun in, in America today. You, you tell me the evolution. You tell me the, you tell me the technique. You tell me the... And, and, and I'll, I'll bet you a steak dinner at Morton's or, or St. Elmo's that Bobby will crush him. All right. <laughs> crush him all day long. Good deal. Best, best damn man in blue jeans and corduroys, Bobby Morris, man. And, and right behind him is Johnny O'Connell. But the, the time's been a little tougher on Johnny. Johnny's not physically there like, like Bobby is. But frick, man. You, you, he's, Bobby's the chief up in uh, Connecticut now. Um, can't remember the name of the department, but man, that guy, volunteer job, that guy's crushing it, man. I mean, he's a one-man band. It, it, you know, Bobby Morris equals six regular firefighters, and, and an intelligence equal equals 600. Wow. Yeah, best, best, damn, best damn firefighter ever. Well, the best damn firefighter on the line today. Awesome. Yeah. Well, let, me, let me ask you this, Chief. You, you know, you're in Oklahoma now. Yeah. You, had a, you had a stop in Texas beforehand too, right? Yeah, I was in Capel, Texas. That was a wonderful place. After I, I was, I was uh, near the end of my career, I got a call from folks in Capel and uh, went out there and had a wonderful time with them. And then the folks from Fire Engineering offered me this gig. So I left, I left Capel to take this gig. But that's a beautiful community, really lovely people. Um, it's a little Republican ghetto just outside of Dallas. They got track mansions and... Uh, Really, really wonderful. Jim Witt hired me there and Clay Phillips. Wonderful people. Um, beautiful community. Absolutely gorgeous community. It's like a, Capel is like, um, you feel like you're in Mayberry RFD. You know, it's like, it's like stepping back in time. It's a, it's 
kind of got a real old world feel to it. Lovely place. It's 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 Texas through and through. And of yeah. course, Texas is you know second to Oklahoma, the best state in the nation. Second best state in the nation. I actually haven't. I've been to Texas. I haven't been to Oklahoma. To be honest with really? you. Really? Yeah. Well, we don't let everybody in, Jim. <laughs> fair enough, sir. Fair, fair enough. You got me there. Uh, well, let me ask you this again, going back to that whole historian thing that I threw out that then you kind of yeah. like, ah, shut up, whatever kid. Um, you've been doing this obviously for a long time. And I was just curious, you know, right now, uh, when we're at FDIC, when you're looking in the exhibit hall, you can't throw a rock and not hit something related to cancer. So it's a, it's, it's great to see on our end that it's actually been acknowledged. I was curious from you, sir, when did you first kind of see, realize that this was a thing in the fire service? It just wasn't a, just a regular cancer, just being, you know, well, a I'm natural the, thing, but actual more for firefighters than the typical. Around the late eighties, it really started gaining prominence, Jim. Around the late eighties, um, obviously, you know, air packs were not a casual thing. They weren't a trivial matter. And we all knew back then that, inhaling any kind of smoke is not smart, right? So, you know, it, it didn't take a rocket surgeon to say, hey, if you're in smoke, put on a, you know, an SCBA. And so the late 80s really saw the rise of, um, you know, the men who would retire. And back then, when, and, and it was mostly men, I apologize, it was mostly men. We had a lot of women coming in, but at the time we were just male dominant. And, and, and so folks would retire and they would be passing away in, in three and four years. And, and in fact, then a lot of us smoked, you know, I wasn't a big cigarette smoker, it was really a prop for me when I was a kid and, and I quit it kind of early, but I was a cigar smoker. And so, but a lot, of, a lot of my fellow troops and after a job, oddly enough, after a big job, I would sometimes grab a smoke with, with one of the other guys, right? You know, someone would offer me a smoke and I'd grab it. And we would light our smokes off of, you know, shit that was smoldering while we were doing overhaul. But remember, it wasn't to be a tough guy and it wasn't because we wanted some badge of honor or any of that. We didn't know then what we know now, right? It was just pure absence of knowledge, not ignorance. Um, Seneca said it best. He said that our descendants will be amazed by the things that are so apparent to them that we don't know now. Duh, right? Um, so that being the case, it, the, the science wasn't there, right? And, and, and we were, it was just like the 80s were the beginning of the connection with smoke and cancer, right? You had, um, my dad died of, of, of lung cancer in 1980, he was 55. Um, and, and so that awareness was building late 70s, but the fire service really got it, maybe mid 80s, early 80s, but by the late 80s, we were all about it. We were all about it, we were all over it. Um, and, and I know a lot of people don't believe that, but it's true. Um, it, but we didn't have, we didn't have this stuff. Nobody, there was no, there was no such thing as a podcast there, you had Imus on the radio in New York city, quack, quack, you know, doing his, doing his thing. That was the, Imus would go, quack, quack, you know, and his, his catch line was, are you naked? And you know, that's why I remember Imus in the morning he was on 10, 10 wins. And the reason you listen to 10, 10 was they give you the traffic at every 10 minutes in New York City, knowing the traffic every 10 minutes matters because it can save you 10 hours, <laughs> you know, avoiding some screw up. So anyway, um, we were really aware of it back then. That's when we started pushing for SCBAs, always wear your pack. Um, so that's when it really started. And then um, it really started to gain prominence. And, and, and once the interweb came online in, in, the, in the late, you know, early, early 2000s, late 90s, then we were able to communicate on a much broader scale, right? And, and that got the awareness really growing. But there was tremendous awareness um, everywhere I went. And I was doing a lot of teaching and training back then. Um, and we, I have old PowerPoints from, from you know, uh, late 80s, early 90s that have, you know, uh, fire cancer statistics, which were terrible. We had the Lamaster study, which was terrible. And, and, and no disrespect to them, it was just bad math. You know what I mean? That said stuff like firefighters are 15 times more likely for this and 10 times, which we now know is just bad math, not, not, uh, not, um, not ill intent or anything malicious, just bad math. 
So um, that, that's the first time I really had it on my radar, and we're talking now 2006, 2007. So yeah, uh, at least for me, where I was at, and you know, I started in late '98. It took that long for me to even know that that was a thing here. So, so you're familiar with Mike DeBron, Cancer Support Network. What year did he start that? '97. Ninety-seven. I ended up joining him in, I think, two thousand six, two thousand seven. I was, I was his Ohio guy. Yeah, well, he 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 was at FDIC for me in two thousand five. You know, he and, and back then it was just Mike and and and, and a couple bunch of guys from LA. You know, yep. the LA guys, and and uh, that was it. Yes, sir. I think I was a third state involved. I think it was California, and, New York, and, and then me. And then Cindy, uh, Cindy L came along and she started doing her work and, and moving the ball forward even more. So, so when you think about it around that time now, 2003, 2004, we were really getting comfortable with the internet. You know what I mean? We were really, everybody had it. You know what I mean? And, and uh, you know, the WWW world was just exploding. You know what I mean? And so communication became a lot easier. It's fascinating to me because I just watched a great video from the guys from Lubbock. And it's a young man who started in 99. And he says, back then we didn't know anything about cancer. And I'm like, no, man, no, we, we did. You know what I mean? We didn't know about it like we know about it today, right? But we knew about it. We absolutely knew about it. Um, but I, I, you know, we're always learning more and more about things. And, and so, we make these videos about smoke and I get it. And we make these videos about, you know, the, the, the phone now that we know what PFOAs and PFOSs and we, we understand that. But we're still not talking about diet. We're still not talking about exercise. We're still not talking about alcohol. <laughs> you you want to start getting a handle on cancer? Cut your alcohol way down. You know, it, if you if you're getting if you're if you're getting drunk more than once or twice a month your cancer rates are going to go through the roof. And we know that, but yet we still have a lot of people who celebrate drinking all the time. And, and it's not just firefighting. It's got to be a complete mindset. You got to decide to be healthy. You got to eat your fruits and vegetables. How many firefighters do we know you sit down at the table and you know, you, they won't eat salad. I'm like, what are you 12? You know, I mean, I don't eat that green stuff. Good for you. I do. I'll take your green stuff. You know what I mean? If you're living on a, if you're, if you think you're Fred Flintstone and you could eat, live on Bronto burgers, you're an idiot. You know, that it, it's a, now we're starting to understand that, right? We're starting to understand it. It, it all matters, man. It, you know, just wearing your mask is critical. Washing after every fire is critical. Deconning your gear is critical, but you, you better be exercising. You better be eating right. You better be watching your alcohol. You know, and, and, I'm, and I'm okay. You want to have the occasional cigar? Good for you. Good for you. E even if you want to have an occasional cigarette, good for you. But don't be huffing a pack a day. You know what I mean? Don't be smoking, chain smoking cigars. And, and, and that's perfectly legal stuff. And I know people, their heads explode when I say it, but I think it is, I think it's, I think it's unacceptable for the fire service to demand that people be tobacco free when tobacco is a legal product. If you choose to do it, I think you've exempted yourself from the presumptive act. In other words, if you chose to ignore the risks, the warnings, that's on you, right? But making something a condition of employment that's legal, I have a problem with that. Just like in a lot of states, marijuana is legal. Figure it out. Just because a guy smokes a little pot in his day off doesn't make him a bad firefighter. A gal has a has a occasional, you know, smoke of marijuana for whatever reason for some people it's great for them for sleep or whatever you hear all kinds of stuff i just don't think that anything that's legal should be illegal on the job or within the job in other words don't come to work stoned and don't come to work drunk but you know so that but that's how i feel i mean if it if it's not breaking my leg or picking my pocket as thomas jefferson said i'm okay with it Going back to kind of what you were saying, though, uh, and you just said breaking your leg, which is perfect, because I always talk about if you fall off a ladder and you break your ankle and you break your ankle, you know how you broke your ankle. There's that cause and effect. 
with cancer, there's so many different things, just like you were saying, exercise and nutrition and wearing your SCBA and, and sleep. And I mean, there's so on and so forth, just avoiding all that kind of stuff. But the problem is, again, I know what happened with that ladder with cancer. You never know. And it's 15, exactly. 20, 25 years down the road. So and the other part of it too, Jimmy, is, is, is your genetic makeup, right? In other words, what's your, so when we're talking about polymers, right? The reason that polymers are weaker, uh, give off their gases more readily is because the bonds that they have are weaker because they're man-made bonds under pressure and, and energy. And so they give up their gases faster because they are weaker bonds than say wood or, or natural products, right? We know that. Well, it's the same with the human body. Some human bodies have, are more resilient to this or more, less resilient to that. We're just starting to unravel all of that, right? We really don't know um, what, um, what the, the, the triggers are for, for each individual, but we're getting better. And you're gonna love this, Jim, but can we take a two second break so I can use the restroom? And you can leave that in there because my prostate is shot and I'm in treatment for it again, so. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I tried, I even, I tried to time this thing. So <laughs> no, go for it. Two seconds. I have the power of editing. Thank you. And that's okay. I would leave it in. <laughs> terrible. Uh, no, wor no worries at all. So, I just, so pa I just paused it. So, but we're back live. Take so two action. I, <laughs> so one of the things I learned early on is that water really helps. Water is really important. Um, and, and uh, Joanna Sieben taught me that she was a, fellow firefighter in, in uh, Albuquerque. So every morning I drink about, I don't know, maybe 32 ounces of water, big 16 ounce you know, cup I drink. Did you, did you see this jug that I'm, I'm yeah, using? Exactly. <laughs> a gallon guy I carry around. Exactly. And then, and then I guzzle about five cups of coffee. <laughs> so, so the only time I don't do it is when I'm flying, because otherwise your seatmate's like, this guy. Yeah, you know, people start looking at you like, you gotta, you know, yep, I do. I'm, I'm old. So. so I think that, you know, the other thing to think about too is when we talk about, we were talking about, you know, triggers and susceptibility. You don't know what your, uh, your um, um, exposure might be, right? To use our language. So, and, and everybody's radically different. You know, if you look at the, uh, if, you, if, if you look at some of the exposures where, clusters of firefighters got sick and then one or two of them didn't or whatever. One of the worst fires we ever had was the AT&T fire. But if you notice my home, I don't have any carpet in my whole home. It's all tile and it's all wood. And the reason I did that was that you put that carpet down in your home and that, that stuff is off gassing all the time. And it's held together with really, it's really cheap polymers. It's really cheap glue. And it, it's really horrible and, and it's flaking and it's getting in the air and it's, it's degrading, and uh, yet every home is wall-to-wall -wall carpet. And I'm like, yeah, not mine. You know, and, and people who run just their air conditioners all day long, they don't open their windows, they don't open their doors. That's a problem. You're creating a, a, sick, a sick building syndrome in your own home. You know, you, you, gotta, you gotta watch that stuff. When you get in a car, roll down the windows right away because all that plastic in there has been off-gassing, especially if you live in a place like Oklahoma or Texas or any place in the summer, but anywhere where it's hot, you have to remember that those polymers are breaking down and all those toxins are filling that environment. So when you get in, roll those windows down, get that air exchange going, blow, blow that out. And, and you hate to be an alarmist, but it's not just the job, right? You got to think about it. You got to, and, 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 if, and if, you, if you don't care, good for you. Good, good for you. The, 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 I'm a safety third guy, right? You have people say safety's first, right? Mike Rowe came up with safety third. It's actually, now they call it safety two. The people that I follow, obviously Dr. Woods from Dayton, Ohio, and uh, really kind of was the, one of the vanguards of it, Sidney Decker, um, Daniel uh, Kahneman, people like that are talking about how we perceive safety, right? How we measure risk personally, which is a big deal. So Rowe tells the story about being out on a crab boat and going, you know, gets a little dicey, he goes to the captain, he says, you know, OSHA, the captain says, Ocean. And he goes, no, seriously, captain, what about you know, some signs, some safety stuff? And the captain says to him, son, I'm the captain of a crab boat. My job's to bring you home rich. You want to come home alive? That's on you. you know? And Ro goes, I got it. I got it. You know what I mean? So, and I think it's the same thing. 
Like if you're hoping that the job by putting in extractors or issuing you an SCBA or giving you, you know, wipes to decon with, if you think that that is, you know, going to take care of you, you're a moron because it's on you. There's a whole lot more that, that has to be done and thought about, but, the, but that's on you, right? And I know we got a lot of competing things for our, for our attentions, but your health has to be at the top of that list. If you're not exercising every day or every, you know, as often as possible, if you're not eating well, if you're not sleeping well, when we talk about stress levels, cortisol, we know cortisol lowers your body's immune system dramatically. So when you talk to guys that are my age group, it's not unusual to find out that they have RA or they have uh, you know, some other autoimmune disease. And the fire service isn't even talk talking about that yet. The proliferation of autoimmune diseases throughout the fire service is huge. And autoimmune diseases are just like a precursor to a cancer, right? It's the body attacking the body. It's your, it's your immune system basically turning on yourself. And, and so, you know, that's a huge concern. So to go back to my buddy Seneca, we're going to keep learning and learning and learning. So, you know, being in a fire station, I think the one thing that's really helped us, Jim, is the fact that, you know, guys like us all and gals all work there and our affinity for one another, our bonds helps lower the stress. And, and, uh, and I know it's interesting. I, I, we're looking a lot about now about the, how certain types of calls affect people. And, and, but I think it's the, it's the anticipation, right? Um, if you look at people's heart rates, especially experienced firefighters, and, and it was a great study by Dr. Brown in Indianapolis about 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, your, your heart rate goes way up until you get to the fire. And then it drops like a rock. Because once you're at the fire, you're like, oh, okay, this is what we got. And you're good. But while you're heading there, this thing's playing games with you. It's like when the boss calls you, leaves a message on your phone uh, on Friday afternoon, hey, Halton, you know, Chief Smith, Monday morning when you get in, see me in the office right away. Boom. Over the weekend, you're freaking out. You're calling the union. What, what are you getting into, right? You're, 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 you're going to give him hell when you walk in the office. You want to know what he's going to try to jam you up over. You walk in his office at 9 o'clock. You've got the union rep outside. You've got your attorney on speed dial. And he says, hey, I got these tickets for the game tonight. I want to talk to you right away so you can get your family. Hopefully, I know you're a big fan of the Yankees or whatever, right? And he hands you a bunch of tickets. And you're like, oh, okay. And you're still a jerk. And, you're, and you run out there. And you run out, right? But it's all in here, right? We, we, we you know, and, and, you know, if you don't think people don't play on that, man, then you're not watching the news today because, man, people know how to use fear and they know how to work on people's heads. And, and there, are, there are entire news networks devoted to nothing but fear. Yeah. And it's crazy. Oh, oh yeah. It's their ply and trade, man. I've seen myself... Uh, especially during all this COVID stuff, just kind of tuning a lot of that stuff out. Bingo, man. Bingo. You know, it's, uh, you know, there you go. There you go. And it's not that we should take it lightly, but it starts with, you know, personal responsibility first and then go from there. Yes. So, I mean, the, the anxiety that, that the news causes me, but even I don't, I don't need my kids to see that stuff either. They don't need that. Well, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't pay attention to the news, but you ought to be selective about the news you pay attention well, to. And, and I do. I mean, you know, I, I know where to look to get the proper information. And I think you should tell you a variety of sources. Like, I love the Wall Street Journal. read it all the time. It's got great information in it. There's several websites that I think have fantastic information. I like to follow them. Certain writers, I think, give you fantastic leads. There's great, there's great ways to get it. But if, if you're watching, you know, the cable networks and mainstream media, you're getting fed an agenda, in my opinion, you know, absolutely. But well, me, so it's the same thing with cancer, right? It really is, right? Um, vet your information, you know, um, seriously, I, I can't emphasize enough the need for masks and decon and, and, and all of that totally, totally on board. But that's, that's a, that's a fraction of it. Absolutely. No, there's, there's so much to the picture and it's because of that. And because we don't know what, you know, our cancer is going to be from it's, we have to try to do everything we possibly can, which yeah. is, 
You leave no a stone. A lot, a lot, a lot of things. No and stone. it's still, even if we do that, it's still not a guarantee. Because we may have ended up with cancer anyways, despite our career here. Right. And, and, and obviously, you're a great consultant for people. And, you know, I, I don't, I'm not telling anybody to intentionally, you know, ignore the opportunity to have presumptive care. But, you know, my opinions on liberty and freedom are, are first principles for me. And they, they come before everything else. And, and so, um, you know, no one's free till we're all free. And if we're going to denigrate somebody for a, an activity or penalize somebody for an activity that's legal or prevent them from having a position, I got a problem with that. Now, if we know it's related to some health issue, that's another issue. We don't have to provide them uh, insurance coverage uh, for exposure to, to a similar threat, right? That could end up in the same disease, right? So lung cancer and smoking are like this, but also lung cancer and firefighting are like this. So you got to think that through. But I think even a reasonable person would say, look, the fact that you had, you know, two or three cigars at weddings over the last 10 years is different than you're smoking a pack of Marlboros a day. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. But that's my, that's my take on it. I think it's, I would rather trust intelligent principled people to make intelligent principled decisions than to coerce people um, into doing what I think is best. And, and, you know, I, I could, I could be completely wrong. I don't know. No, no, I don't, I don't think you're wrong at all. Well, I don't think you, you're wrong at all. I do think that wherever you're at, you you know, there's not a universal presumptive law. We all have different ones. And mm -hmm. a lot of them have varying levels of tobacco use. Some none at all, you know, some none within 10 years or five years or some, you, it has to be significantly, um, you know, they have to be able to say that's a significant problem. So it all is going to vary upon where you're at when it comes to that kind of stuff. So you just need to know. And how much risk are you willing to live with? That That's the, that's the you know, that's the, that's the bottom line. I mean, uh, you know, it was interesting. Governor Cuomo said an interesting thing um, recently, which Mike Rowe pointed out. I love this podcast. If you're, not, if you're not listening to Mike Rowe, you're missing out on a, just a wealth of, of uh, wisdom. The guy's brilliant. And uh, Cuomo said that um, no matter how draconian the measures, we, we're going we're gonna to do everything we can to prevent even one death uh, due to the COVID thing. But the problem is that's not true. In other words, if you really meant that, Roe pointed out that you change the speed limit to 20 miles an hour and make everybody wear a helmet all the time. I mean, come on, you allow people to drive 70 miles an hour down the freeway. You know, I'm just saying. Yeah. You know, so we're never going to make the world as we know it today in the foreseeable future cancer free because the exposures are just so pervasive, whether it's in your car, whether it's in your home, whether it's at work, whether it's the food we eat, you know, we, we don't know, you know, I mean, we're, we're just starting to learn about these PFOAs and PFOSs and, and the data on that is, you know, we're trying to figure it out, right? How yeah, you were mentioning even earlier about the stuff off gassing from your carpet. And I'm thinking in my head, kind of the same as that we just learned really that our gear is doing. Well, our gear off gases somewhat, and, and a guy who did a good study on it was Kenny Fent, and I forget the guy who actually did the measurements. He was also with, um, with NIOSH and CDC. And so we know that the gear, when it's superheated, is off gassing a little more um, dramatically. But after a few moments and it cools, it, it's, it's a pretty stable fabric, as stable as any other fabric. But that doesn't mean that just like any other fabric, it's not off gassing somewhat, right? And if you've got it in a hot container somewhere, bingo right so what it's off gassing is all over the place depends on what was put into it right and and all of it again with the best of intentions right the the pfoas and pfos's they were put in there for their waterproofing capabilities for their abilities to keep things like blood and such off us and 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 to provide us moisture barriers so uh, nobody there was no snidely whiplash thinking oh i'm gonna get firefighters and, and we don't know how at this point the work of dr peasley and others we don't know how uh, dangerous it really is at this point. So we need to, here, here's the key to survival and, and, and Nason Taleb 
Talib points this out very clearly in, in his work. He's the guy that wrote The Black Swan, Fooled by Randomness, and Citero. Um, anyway, Nassim tells us mankind's overreaction to threats throughout history have what's helped mankind survive, right? In other words, we overreact, we get a good idea of what the threat level is, and then we moderate our reaction, right? We, we scale it down, we build it up here, we take it down there. So when we have a threat that's unknown, we ought to react to it as aggressively as we can. And so now we know there's a threat, we don't know how bad it is. We might find out in five years, it's minuscule, it's almost, you know, zero. But that's probably not true with a substance that we're finding inside the systems of polar bears. It's basically indestructible. So it's probably a, a chemical that we should be paying more attention to. And so, and, and be careful about substituting one, you know, it's, it's the, the unintended consequences, right? Like, I'm not going to beat you anymore with my belt because that's not right. I shouldn't hit you. With, I learned I shouldn't hit you with my belt. So now I'm just going to hit you with a stick, you know? <laughs> okay. You know what I mean? But we don't know the long-term effects of that stick yet. Exactly. So that, at least that's what we're told, you know, but you got to do something, right? You got to, you got to go for your best alternative. And, and so I think that we have, I think that we have the most, much like the, much like the men and women who are drawn to the fire service, are, are of such incredible character. The people who make our gear, our vendors, our apparatus, our tools, same people, same kind of people, and especially in America. Um, America is the land of the best people in the world, bar none. There's not a, the, the, I'll, I'll stack any American against anybody else, anytime, anywhere, any day. And, and, and when you look at the American manufacturers developing our gear, man, you, you can take anything an American manufacturer is making to, to the bank it, for its quality, integrity, durability, you know, it's, uh, it, 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 I really, I loathe those who are, want to throw motive at people as if they know what they're thinking. Really, nobody knows. First, nobody knows. And secondly, if you're going there, you're weird. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would, why are you going there? And generally follow the money. They're looking for a payday. You know what I mean? It's all about a payday. Not, all cases, not in all cases, but in, in many. I know, I know you've done a lot of your homework on, on that subject to the point where we've even uh, taken the time to read Rob Allott's story exposure. Rob, and, I've actually met Rob. We were acquaintances now. He's a, We've been on a few podcasts together. Um, he's the real deal. Um, Rob, but look at Rob. Rob. Rob's not. Rob's not getting rich. Rob, Rob's not. You know, Rob's not rolling in the dough. He's trying to raise awareness of something that he feels is threatening. Look, so cop. Look, I love. I love politicians because they're. That profession attracts the stupidest people in the world. And, just look at the two guys who are running right now. I mean, come on. One of them wants to stop shareholder capitalism. Okay, jack wagon. Then, then how, how are our pensions going to come from? Why would anybody invest in a business? You moron. And, and, and the other guy is, is equally as nuts, but, but less so in my opinion. But anyway, so you got these two, you know, bottom feeders who are emblematic of the rest of the bottom feeders in politics, in my opinion. Politics is a Greek word, as you know, poly meaning many and ticks are tiny blood-sucking parasites. And so, just kidding. Some politicians <laughs> are a joke. And, and I don't give a crap about Biden or Trump, but I'm not impressed by either one in terms of a lot of things. More impressed on one side, I've got my political beliefs and much less on the other. But anyway, that, that being said, be really, really careful about ascribing motives to anybody. You know what I mean? And people do it all the time with both those gentlemen. He wants to do this or he wants to do that. Really grow up. You know what I mean? Uh, neither one, I think, uh, are evil. Neither one, I think, are really stupid. I think they're good men. 
they've got different worldviews. And so it's much the same with what we're dealing with now in the fight against cancer. And, and it's going to be, you know, nobody knows all of it. And, and Mr. If you look at, if you look at Rob Beloy, who's, who's currently, you know, dark waters and his book is amazing. His, his story is amazing. He, he's really concerned, but these politician fellows to go back to them, they always throw out this word existential threat. That's the new, like you see it, uh, it's an existential threat. Exist okay. Existential threats mean they're going to wipe out humanity. That's what existential means. Now, if we got a wild virus that came through that was a superbug, that could do it. Thermonuclear war, that could do it. Bad economic policy, probably not. You know what I mean? Um, and and not, all, not all chemical threats, probably not. They're not existential. But certain things we know do have long-term problems, right? And they can build, right? There's a dynamic element to them. And, and Rob is looking at those things. Like if we release a certain um, element into the environment, could that actually pose an existential threat to certain species? That's important stuff, right? Albeit with the best of intentions, you know what I mean? Well, they say the road to perdition is paved with good intentions, right? Yep. Um, so, it, it, you know, if you don't know Rob's story, Google Rob, wonderful guy. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to get, kind of start and get you out of here on this um, here shortly. To gear, to, to the point on gear, you want, yeah. to know my, you want to know my solution? You're Absolutely. You're not going to like it. Well, let's, let's hear it. You're, right. you're, you, maybe I will like it. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't think, I don't think we should issue gear to individuals any longer. Okay. I think, I think that gear should be, you, it could be custom fitted to you, but those sets aren't yours and, and they should be stored in a, in a location at the job where you can go get them when you sign in from the quartermaster, put them on the rig when you come in in a sealed pouch. If you get a call for a job, put them on, go to the job, take them out, put them back in the pouch if they don't get soiled. But if they get soiled, put them back in the pouch and they go to the quartermaster to get cleaned. But the gear isn't your gear. The gear belongs to the job. You know, it, it, I actually think I've seen a department do that. And it was actually the London Fire Brigade. Well, well, we talk about talking about cancer. I, that's a theory I put forward back in the 90s. And the reason I put it forward is if you've heard about it, there's a small organization. They've got these big gray ships that float around the country and around the world. Called the, it's called the United States Navy um, and every other Navy. And the number one job of every sailor is to be what? A firefighter. Because if you don't put out the fire, how long can you tread water? That's a bad deal, right? Look at the, look at the fire on the uh, Baham Richard that they're just getting out today, three days. So anyway, which is the sister ship of the boxer that, that, that my son served on. So long story monotonous, um, you, you, if you look at how the Navy does it, there's a locker. It's the, it's a locker for, for gear and, and it's, it's the fire control locker or whatever they have in different names for. You run up, you grab a set of gear, you throw it on, you're large, medium, tall, you know, however you want to size them and you go to work. It doesn't say Smith on it. It doesn't say Cahill on it. It doesn't say Jones. I'm just got you know, you grab your gear. I think the only argument well, I'm sure there's other arguments too, but what I, I, I could see people have an issue with is like when you go back to Jeff Stahl doing his fluorescent aerosol screening test and showing where all this stuff is getting onto our skin, it's getting onto our neck, it's going, you know, up our pant legs, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Having gear that may not be fit as specific for you is just going to make that even, you know, your exposure more so. So maybe we keep the inner liners and we just have outer shells there. That may be a thing. Maybe we're on to something. We'll talk afterwards. But I mean, I'm I mean, just kidding. I'm kidding. The problem is, if you really want to get a handle on it, own it. it do you have your own Halligan? Do you bring your own Halligan to work? I do not. You, you know, do, you, do you bring your own defibrillator to work? If you're, if you're a medic, you bring your own life pack? No. no. Do, you, do you bring, do you, do, do you drive your car to calls? I do not, no. You know, 
That's funny. That's, that's issued equipment, right? It is. So even our station wear, if we went to like fatigues, like military fatigues, because our station wear gets contaminated too. What if we came to work just like you and I are right now, put on our fatigues with our Velcro like they do in the military? You know, United States Navy, United States Army, Ohio, you know, Dayton Fire Department, Lieutenant's Bars, put them on, Halton, Smith, Jones, go to work, get off work, take it off, throw it in, come back in, skinny tall, put it on, husky tall, you know, short husky, you know, whatever. I own it, man. Own it. It's basically a quartermaster system, but for everything, not just our uniforms, but our gear too. And when you really think about it, I think it's really doable. I mean, if we really want to make a difference, I mean, and then you can really track the gear. Then you could really know, you know what I mean? Because right now, I don't know. And, and, and I'm okay with however people want to do it. It's just another idea, another way to look at it, another way to skin the cat. And I know places, volunteer jobs, where um, they share gear. And I know I know we got to wrap up, so, because i got a doctor's appointment in like 10 minutes. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you this first. Go let ahead. me ask you then uh, advice for if you actually wanted to become an author for fire engineering, and also if you wanted to, um, advice for being a presenter at FDIC, what, what would you offer somebody that is interested in those? Write about what you know. Start off with an event. We went to a call, you know, just like a fire report. We went to a call, went to a medical call, whatever. And what you did, what you know, what you learned, what your takeaways were, the stuff you would share at the kitchen table. Those articles are, are awesome and a great way to get in the door. And then as you get in the door, you might want to learn more about the ergonomics of moving a, a hand line. You might want to know more about uh, extinguishment capabilities of different products or whatever, whatever it is you wrote about, right? So, so it just extrapolates off from that. That's the best way. Send the articles to me. You know, um, it's easy to find out how to email me. If, if, you, if all else fails, bobbyhalton at gmail.com. That's my personal, but my other one is bobby.halton at clarionevents.com. It's on the masthead of the magazine. Send it to me and Diane and, and we'll put it in the system and give you a fair shake. Um, you know, if you want to start off with shorter pieces and do some stuff like almost like a, a thought to get in the magazine, it has to have some meat, right? You got to be thinking about at least like 2000 words plus in order to make the magazine. Um, because it's got to have some, it's got to have some, some substance. If you want to get it online, you can go with shorter pieces, you know, but again, it has to have substance. If you want to get to FDIC, you got to do the third, first thing before you're ever going to get an FDIC. Cause if you just show up and say, I've got this great class for da, 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 but you've never written for us. We don't know who you are. It's tough. Now we do take a chance on people from time to time because of the topic or the way they presented it, but that's rare, very rare. More often it's, Hey, this is the guy or gal that wrote that. Let's, let's get them. Or, or this is the guy or gal who, you know, did, did this podcast or did that for us. Let's get them. And then the other thing, if you put in your proposal, it's a brand new class that I've never done anywhere else. And it'll be exclusive to FDIC. No, it won't <laughs> do it someplace else. FDIC is not the place for a rehearsal. I mean, it's the place for something that's been polished because you're going to have folks at FDIC from all over the world. You know, you could have, you could have 600 people in your classroom. You could have, you could have in some of the rooms, you could have 2000, 3000 people in your classroom. You, you better know what you're talking about and, and you, you better have thought it through because the folks in the audience have, because that's why they're there. They're keenly interested in it and, and they're going to ask you questions. So make sure the make sure the presentation has been, you know, done elsewhere and presented and you've worked out the kinks and then submit some articles about it. You know, if you want to be, if you want, that's what you want to talk about, send them to us. One of the things that we, we get a lot of and it's very hard to break into is leadership. Everybody's a leader. You know, I believe that there's a great book called heroic leadership that I like, which espouses that. I think we're all leading all the time. It just depends on whether we're leading well or poorly. Um, so leadership's a tough one, but when it comes to structural firefighting, it's wide open. You know, when it comes to health and wellness, if you got some great ideas, but remember it's all about training. It's about actionable things. Now we do do some theory classes, but they're not as um, numerous as the ones that are actionable. 
our, our audience is everybody from chief of department all the way down to firefighter, but everybody in that spectrum should be able to take away something from your presentation that's actionable at their level. Very nice. Um, I did want to plug my conference for once because you're actually going to be coming here. Be there. You're, you're our keynote speaker. And, and then we're, we're obviously recording this in mid-July um, with the hopes of, like right now, it's still going. That may change. But right now, it's, it's a go. It's October 7th and 8th in exotic Beaver Creek, Ohio, which is just a suburb of, of Dayton. But you're going to be starting off. I got Frank Lieb, Frank, Frank Lito from FD1, FDNY. I just spoke to Frank before we had this conversation. Nice, nice. One of my favorite human beings on the planet. Well, well, what's Frank? Huh? Which Frank was it? Frank Lieb. Okay. Just, I just spoke. He, he, we're, we're looking at an air pack issue. Nice. Then Jeff Dill, um, Dr. Lori Moore Merrill, Paul Erickson, and your friend Dane Ali as well. Well, Lori, they're all they're all friends of mine. So yeah. yeah. So live training. Uh, we're going to try to make it happen still. Hey. October 6th and 7th in beautiful Beaver Creek, Ohio. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you again for your time. Thank you for everything you you do and you've done and continue to do here in the fire service. Well, thank you also, Jimmy. And, and um, please keep doing what you're doing. Um, I, I think the world of you and a lot of other people do. Um, you're doing heroic work. You're a great guy. Um, and, and Dayton's blessed to have you. The, the fire the Fire Cancer Consultants is a great group of people. Thank you for that work. Thank you for just, thank you for being you. You're a really authentic, decent person and, and it shows. And, and uh, I really do hope that people, seriously, October 6th and 7th, um, you know, some of the folks that are gonna, all oh, of the folks. Did I say six? I mean, 7th and 8th, I'm sorry. Okay. You said 6th <laughs> and 7th, but 7th, 7th and 8th. I'm traveling on the 6th. Okay. That's what it is. I'm traveling on the 6th so I can speak on the 7th. But, um, Everybody there really gives a shit and really cares, and it'll be really worth your while. Um, that's a, that group of people have done a tremendous amount of work. And everything we talked about, you know, stress, off-gassing, you know, cancer triggers, awareness, it's all gonna be there. And, and everybody who's speaking gives actionable presentations, with, with the exception of me, all I do is yell at you. <laughs> you you get us to wake up that early I, yeah so yeah some late young some young lady um came up to me i can't remember where and she said oh, i know who you are i said oh okay she goes you're the denim shirt guy who yells at everybody because you know i usually wear my when i'm out in public i always wear my jay leno I'm, I'm a former mechanic so i always wear like you know i look like jay leno and uh she says, you're the denim shirt guy who yells at everybody. I said, that would be me. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm going to have to get you to talk to my wife and tell her all those good things too. Well, but it's true, man. And uh, no, I, pr I appreciate that. And I, I should also say, I failed to mention, I'm not the greatest at plugs all the time, but the tickets are available on brothershelpingbrothers.org. Yeah, uh, seriously. And, 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 and the money is going to help guys and gals with cancer. You know what I mean? It, it, it's important. And you know, when you do get sick, don't go through it alone. Um, I did that in 95 and it doesn't end well. It's terrifying. And so, you know, reach out, find somebody to support you, get your support network going, you know, make sure you got people like Jim to talk to and, you know, just to, just to, you know, take some of the, you, know, you did it too, Jim. I mean, it helps take the fear factor away, you know, just being able to talk about it, you know, and if you, if you haven't gone through it, it can be scary because you hear the horror stories and some of it's, well, it's true. It can be hard. It can be terrifying and it can be brutal, but you'll get through it, man. You can look for local resources at your department. Pretty much anywhere you go, you've had individuals that have been diagnosed. If you go to Brothers Helping Brothers and you click on Jim's contact, you'll be good. And then and there's also all, you know, I can't say enough good things about my old place to FCSN, you know, 866-994-FCSN. Yeah, Mike LeBron and the Firefighter Cancer Support Network. Click, go to the Firefighter Cancer Support Network. You can't go wrong. Cindy L and, and, and 
her group. So Cindy's group is a, a fire, fire cancer foundation. Fire cancer foundation. Sorry, yes, sir. I'm getting old, but I've got to go do a blood draw to see how I did yesterday. Well, let's, let's get you out of here. Uh, so you can do that again. I appreciate your time and everything you've done and I'll see you hopefully very, very soon. You will. God bless. Take care, everybody. All right. Thank you.